Um, it's a little bit different looking than it used to be. I remember those days at uh, Edmonton Township High School when we would would go in and Steve would stand right next to the band and just kind of wait and listen for words. And then every time you'd go up there, I'd go, uh-oh, here it comes. <laughs> hey, listen, before, before Brock speaks, uh, I think the one thing that I, I just wanted to say about this morning is that I asked Brock to come to speak specifically about what it means to be human. Um, and part of the reason why I asked him to do that is because I believe that this is sort of central to the way that we think about justice. If we start our Bibles at Genesis 3, the fall, um, you have sort of a different way of thinking about being human in the world than if you started at Genesis 1 and 2. And I'm convinced uh, that the church tradition all around the world has something to teach us Westerners about that. And so asked him to come. Um, I also want to prep you. Uh, part of what I asked him to do is to do something a little bit more theological and perhaps a bit academic. Uh, so, I mean, I love that stuff. Uh, most of you are looking at me like, well, yeah, duh. Um, but like, I, I do love that stuff. But, but the, 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 And then we're going to have a little bit of a dialogue afterward. And then hopefully we'll have some time for Jared to come up and, and do a little bit of a response. But I just think this is so central and so important, and I think there are two invitations that I have for you today, and the first invitation is to just keep an open mind, um, and when I say mind, I really mean mind, like this is an opportunity to love the Lord our God with our minds, but then the second thing is open our hearts, because I do think some of this may make us feel a bit uncomfortable, and man, I'm here for that, and so... Is that all right? Can I say that? Is that okay? All right, Brock, I just give it to you. Thank you so much for being with us. Thank you, Kiva and Ted. I'm glad to be here. Amanda and I are thrilled. We have memories in this room of our two kids running around. So about 14 years ago, we were, we were here, and it's changed a lot, and it's wonderful to be here. Why don't you turn to the person next to you and say, you bear the image of the Trinity. It is true, friends, you bear the image of the Holy Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That is how you are created, is to carry the presence of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And that's what we're going to talk about. We're going to talk about this word that comes out of Eastern Orthodox theology. Those are our uh, brothers and sisters in Christ from the Christian East. And we're going to be talking about something called theosis. And we're going to introduce that to some of you. And some of you have already heard of it. And so this will be rehearsing some of that. But before we do this, I, it was striking me last night. Uh, during the message and the time together, this uh, gathering, this conference, is the spirit and the common good. And who can tell me where that comes from? Which letter of Paul and where is that? What's the address? Chapter 12. 12. That's correct, at verse 7. Friends, I want to remind us what the original context of the common good is. Who can tell me what happened? 1 Corinthians 12, 7, something happens for the common good. What is it? Got any Baptists in here? 
I'm not sure you would have hung out in this passage a whole lot, but those are some of my roots. It is the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. What does that tell us? It means the manifest presence of God, the Holy Spirit, is what brings the common good. And so we're talking about various aspects of that, but I want to remind us, especially as vineyard people, there is no common good without the manifest presence of the Holy Spirit. So let's make sure that we're looking at the context. The Apostle Paul is speaking, and it's a Trinitarian event that he's talking about. The manifestation of God's presence is God saying, I'm giving my church these gifts through my Son, by the power of the Holy Spirit, and the Son is glorified in the church. That is what brings the common good. The common good happens among the people of God first, and we're set on fire with the manifest presence of God and the gifts of the Holy Spirit in full operation. And only then can we bring goodness to other people's lives. That's what Gina was saying last night. Luke 4, the anointing of Christ. That is the only hope. That is the only way forward for us. Amen? The manifestation. And the Lord says, it's not by might. It's not by power. It's not by human programs. It's not by human initiatives. It's not by good ideas. It's by the power of the Holy Spirit that anything happens. That's it. That, if you want to know what do we do for the common good, it starts there. So, Lord, we do. We acknowledge that. We thank you, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. You're the only hope. You're the only hope, period. And so we ask for your manifest presence with us today, even tomorrow. We acknowledge our utter dependence on the Holy Spirit. And we pray, Lord, that you would open our minds and our hearts to the word of God, spirit of wisdom and revelation. You would teach us about this topic today, transformation in Christ Jesus. And we pray in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And the church said, amen. amen. So I've already told you, we're going to talk about theosis. Can we say that word together? Theosis. And our aim today is to explore the doctrine of theosis. And I'm going to use different words along with, that's a Greek term that just means to be changed into God-likeness, right? And we're going to talk more about that, what it is, what it isn't. But this is central in the Eastern Orthodox Church's doctrine of salvation in Christ. We're going to see that. We're going to be learning more about that. We're going to do three things in our short time together. First, we're going to answer the question, what in the world is theosis? Secondly, we're going to look at three points about theosis. And then finally, I want to ask what the doctrine of theosis might do in the vineyard movement. If we understand it rightly, how might the doctrine of theosis enrich and empower vineyard theology and practice? If you notice, um, if we could have the, is it title slide up there. I want you to look at this because it's not very academic. What do you see the, the title there? Typically, it would be something like theosis, the transformative effects of salvation in Christ. But what do you see here? 
from the gutter to the throne. That is what theosis is. I read this recently, a um, modern Orthodox theologian named Conieris. He wrote in a book on theosis, and he said, Jesus came to lift the fallen all the way from the gutter of sin to the throne of God in theosis. Friends, that's what we're looking at today. This is not an abstract theological idea. We're going to journey into the Christian East today together. I'm going to be referencing some scriptures. I'm going to reference some people that maybe you have or haven't heard of that are 1,400 years ago in Christian history. But friends, what we're talking about is the reality that through faith in Christ, through union with Jesus in the grace of God, by faith, we are lifted from the gutter of sin into the very presence of God Almighty. Is that stunning? It's almost, a, it's astonishing, isn't it? And Christ says that those who overcome will share his throne. So friends, this is straight from the scriptures. And what does Ephesians say? Where are we seated if we're in Christ Jesus? We're seated in the heavenly places where Christ is enthroned. Friend, this, this is the gospel here we're looking at today. I want to start with a story about theosis. Amanda and I in our church, All Saints, which is a vineyard church we've been in. We're in year two now. It was a Dutch Reformed church for 45 years. And we have left the Dutch Reformed church and we've become a vineyard over the last couple of years. But we're experiencing a move of God among our young adults. We had no young adult ministry three years ago, four years ago. And we were just desperate saying, Lord, we need young adults. Will you give us people after high school graduation, that 19 to 24, will you do it, Lord? We, have, we can't do anything. And all of a sudden he's like, here you go. And he started saving and filling these young adults with the Holy Spirit and it's rocking our whole church. And there is one young man who's Albanian. Here we are in Oklahoma, right? It's buckle of the Bible belt. And God is internationalizing our church through the young adults. It's unreal. This young man named Yosef was in the gutter for many years. He lived in Albania and Macedonia. And this young man wanted the transcendent in his life. And he looked everywhere. I mean, he went as deep into all the things of Satan as anyone I've ever heard. And so he sat in my office and shared his story. And he said, Brock, I've done it all. He's done all the drugs that are out there. He's done all the Eastern religions and learned to master meditation and all the yogi stuff. And I mean, he went deep, 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 and it led him into the darkness of the occult, and he's got tattoos that represent his whole journey. And friends, he encountered the resurrected Jesus along the way. He would channel spirits, and so he would invite spirits from uh, these Eastern Hinduism and Buddhism and these different traditions. He would be filled with these evil spirits, and he would channel wisdom and things like this. And one time in his meditation, Jesus encountered him. And the love of God enveloped him, and he knew it was Jesus. And his life got completely rearranged. And so Yosef is born again. 
He is a new person. If you got two minutes around him, you would just say, oh my goodness, God saves. And Yosef has started his journey of theosis about two years ago. And so he is now on a lifelong journey from the gutter to the throne. And we're going to see that theosis parallels the doctrine of sanctification for us Protestants out here. So let's look at what theosis is, okay? So the first thing I would say about what is theosis um, stemming from biblical language and the language of the church fathers, I call it patristic, it's patristic language, theosis is the process by which a Christian becomes more like God. You get that? So that's it, simply put. Theosis involves the renewal of the image and likeness of God in human beings. Therefore, it's universally applicable. Jared was giving me a word about the gospel, and friends, theosis is the gospel. The renewal of the image of God in human beings is the message that we have. We'll be talking more about that. A contemporary Orthodox priest in Canada, I heard him, I listened to quite a few of these guys gals lecturing on theosis, and listen to what he said. He says, theosis involves becoming by grace what God is by nature. Christians do not become God, and I will make that clear in a minute. The created does not become the uncreated. Is that sinking in? The created, however, may become participant in the uncreated by grace. Saturday morning, I know it's some big language, but you're hearing me on that. How in the world does this happen, though? If God is spirit, how do we become like God? Theosis is only possible because of the incarnation of the word of God. So how does theosis happen? Because Christ, the eternal, uncreated word of God, became human and took on human flesh. That is how theosis happens. So therefore, theosis is growth in Christ-likeness. It's becoming like God, but it's becoming like Christ, who is God in the flesh. I want to put an image up here. And I know it's, it's Saturday, Saturday morning, and so we're still waking up a little bit. You with me okay? We okay? We're going deep in some theology as we journey into the Christian East together. We're going to Jerusalem and Antioch and Alexandria, North Africa. These are some of the sources that we'll be drawing from, folks that lived there. Orthodox theologians view the transfiguration of Christ. You see that? Ancient icon up there. It's depicting what happens in Matthew 17. And someone tell me, what, what happens in Matthew 17? What's going on in this image? You've got Christ there, but someone tell me, what, what's happening in this image here? Okay, so you've got Elijah and Moses next to Christ there. Christ has glory on him. And then what's going on with these fellows at the bottom of the icon? Okay, Jesus brought 
Peter, James, and John. And what are they, what's their posture? Flat on their faces. And so for the Orthodox Christians, Matthew 17, the transfiguration of Christ becomes the paradigm or the model for our transfiguration. So they say this is a moment in the life of Christ. It's singular. It's unique. There's no one like Christ. But because we are called to imitate and follow and bear the same spirit that Christ had, we too will be transfigured in Christ through the prophetic power of the Holy Spirit and through the scriptures. Moses and Elijah represent those things. And it's a a communal event, isn't it? It's not just Jesus off on a mountain by himself. He takes people with him. And so this image from Holy Scripture is showing us that theosis is a communal thing. It's a social thing. It doesn't happen because you're off in a cave by yourself. It happens in community with one another. God goes to work. He begins to sanctify and transform us into the image of his beloved son only as we're in deep relationship with one another. So I'm going to talk more about this tomorrow if you come. I'm going to talk about how theosis describes the renewal and image, uh, the renewal of the image and likeness of God in human beings. But there's human cooperation And I don't have time to talk about that today. I'm going to talk about that tomorrow. But there are specific things that Christians can do to cooperate with the deifying power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. What do you think some of those things might be? The power of the Holy Spirit at work in you and what do you need to do? What are you responsible for to cooperate with God? What Name something. What's a spiritual practice? What I hear? Prayer. Prayer, Top of the list, right? We're going to look specifically at the Jesus prayer tomorrow. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me. What's another thing? Another spiritual? Scripture. That's right. Not just reading it, but praying it. Entering into it. Letting it enter into you. So we've got prayer, praying the Bible. Sacraments. Wonderful. So... Holy baptism, holy communion. And then this one that most of us really don't like, fasting, right? That's another one. We don't earn anything. Theosis happens as we get under the waterfall of God's love and God's grace and God's mercy. That's where theosis happens. But you don't just look at the waterfall and say, that is beautiful. I sure appreciate that. That, That's a great waterfall over there. I'm dying over here of thirst I need the waterfall. Hopefully a little mist will come over here and hit me every week or so. Is that what happened? No, you got to go get under the waterfall of God's presence, God's love, God's grace, God's mercy. And that's where theosis happens. Okay, let me make three key points here about theosis. And we're already into this, but the doctrine of theosis is rooted in Scripture. Look at 2 Peter 1.4. And I don't know if you bring Bibles around here or if you only have cyber Bible back in Oklahoma at All Saints. I encourage people to bring one of these. And some of the young people are like, what is that? And I go, it's a book. And if you open it, it has these things called pages. 
with words written on it. And you can actually write notes in it and highlight. So for real, we've got most of our church now bringing a hard copy because what we found is if you have your phone while you're looking at it, oftentimes you're getting hit. There's pings, ding, ding. Hey, you got to, oh, I see this text came in or I got to check something. So there is something wonderful about this thing. You know what else happens if we don't have access to those phones? You can still use this. You don't have to power it up, right? It still works. Although I must admit, sometimes I will open my Bible, anybody else do this, and I will try to magnify the text with my fingers. Anybody else do that? All right, I am not the only goob in the room. I will open my Bible and I'm like, I can't read that, it's too small font, let me just enlarge it. Oh yeah, can't do that, doesn't work. Are you at 2 Peter? 1-4. This is probably the clearest example in the New Testament. There are many others, but we're going straight to this one. The Apostle Peter says something that is pretty mind-blowing. 2 Peter 1-4. Is it on a slide? Can we put that up there? Yeah, there we go. Could we have someone who can project, read this out loud for us to hear? Someone with a good voice. Read that so we can just hear the reading of the word of God. I see someone's hand there. Yes. His divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. It should keep going there. Is there more? So we could have three sermons out of those two verses there, but we're looking really primarily at that last phrase. And I want that to sink in to your minds here. If you're at the Vineyard Church, you're Protestant. And so I want this to sink into your Protestant mind and heart. What does the Apostle Peter say here? Under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, every word of God is God-breathed and is practical and useful to equip the church to live like Christ. And what does he say there in that last phrase? We have the promises of God so that we may become participants of the divine nature. Are we talking about Mormonism here? What's happening, church? Are we going LDS right here? Or is this biblical? Ted, is this biblical? It is the church is called to become partakers of or participants in the very divine nature. Borderline blasphemy, it sounds like. Friends, that's your calling. That young man, Yosef from Albania, he was created and called to become a partaker of the divine nature. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. He tried everything he could because there was something thirsting and longing and yearning in his spirit, his inner man. And it was only quenched when he encountered Jesus. And Jesus said, you know what? You're going to partake of the divine nature through me, through my body, through my blood. What I accomplished in my life 
makes a way for you, Yosef, to become a partaker of the divine nature. The word that's used there, participant or partaker, is related to koinonia. What does koinonia mean, church? Koinonia. Fellowship. So what Peter is saying under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit is that human beings are created to fellowship with God to have relationship and companionship through the union of faith and love with God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Does that blow your mind a little bit on this Saturday? Those of you that are awake, does that blow your mind? Theosis is a call to have koinonia, fellowship through the person of the Lord Jesus and partake of the divine nature. Now, we've already said it, it, we don't go weird in this. This is rooted in the apostolic teaching of the church. And so Mormonism and their doctrine of exaltation, where they believe that you actually are exalted and you end up being a, a god of various worlds and these kinds of, that's nonsense. That's heresy. That's a distortion. That's Luciferian, angel of light kind of stuff. The true doctrine is that we become partakers of the divine nature through the promises of God. As we meditate on them, treasure them, obey them, and live into them in the mystery of God's love, in the mystery of faith, we partake of the very nature of God. Friends, this is the gospel. Um, this man over here, you just scratched your face. I saw you, and I don't, I don't know if this is happening now, but I saw you with a gift of evangelism. And I saw you uh, with drug addicts. And like laying your hands on drug addicts and seeing Jesus cast demons out of them. And then I saw you around uh, spiritual prisoners and literal prisoners, and the Lord was going to do some kind of work of evangelism in you and a team of people. And so I'm not sure why I just gave that word at that moment, but I think you are to call people to become participants in the very nature of God. That's their destiny. It's evangelism, isn't it? And so sometimes we're going to see in a minute, we need to kind of revisit how we present the gospel. And this is part of it. You can tell people that are just riddled with sin, filled with demons, you've got to get free because you are called to be like Christ. You are called for the glory of God. You've got to get out of this stuff. Friends, this is the word of God. What we just read in 2 Peter 1.4. There are many other places Listen to what John 1, 14 and 16 says. Now that you're viewing it through this lens, that's one verse, but there are many, many others. And I just want to give you a little sampling of what Holy Scripture says. John 1, 14 and 16 says this. And the word became flesh and lived among us, and we have seen his glory, the glory as of a father's only son, full of grace and truth. At verse 16, from his fullness, we have all received grace upon grace. The fullness of God in Christ Jesus is what you and I are destined to receive and partake from. It's the whole counsel of scripture. 
Ted mentioned it. Genesis 1 and 2 is where the story of theosis begins. All human beings, all males, all females, no matter where you are, where you're from, you are called to receive from the fullness of God in Christ Jesus, grace upon grace. Are you awake? John 17, 22 to 23, the word of God says this, the glory, and this is Jesus praying and speaking with the Father. Listen to this through the lens of theosis. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them so that they may be one as we are one. I in them and you in me that they may become completely one. So there's astounding unity here so that the world may know that you have sent me and have loved them as you have loved me. So friends, theosis, partaking of the divine nature means that we are indwelt by the presence of God, the Holy Trinity. We're being unified as a church, as a people, to reveal the love and saving power of God in Christ Jesus. I could go on and on. How about one more? Two more. Romans 8:29. You're familiar with 8:28, right? It's a great magnet verse for your fridge at home. Romans 8:28 which says what? There you go. Now look at what 8:29 says. That also needs to be on the magnet on your fridge. Next to 828, the Apostle Paul says this, those whom God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. Let that sink in. Conformed, shaped, molded to the image of his son, the Lord Jesus, in order that he might be the firstborn within a large family. Friends, theosis means God is building a human spiritual family. Revelation 7, 9, we get a glimpse of that. The saints who've died in Christ are before the throne. And where are they from? Revelation 7, 9. Someone tell me. These saints that are there worshiping before the throne of God, they're only from Michigan. They're only from Illinois. They're only from Oklahoma. And people and nation. Friends, theosis, the call to partake of the divine nature, the call to be conformed to the image of Christ, involves all the nations. This is the greatest thing going on planet Earth right now. It is the mission of God in Christ Jesus, through the power of the Holy Spirit. And it is like a dragnet that is pulling in people from every tribe and tongue and people and nations. Friends, this should set us on fire. This is the glorious God, the glorious gospel in Christ Jesus. One more verse. How are we doing? Doing okay? 2 Corinthians 3, 17 to 18. Again, I'm just showing you a sample of passages in Holy Scripture that speak of theosis. And this is one of the greatest. I've said that multiple times, but I, 2 Corinthians 3, 17 to 18. Paul is talking about the old covenant and how glorious it was. 
And we saw that Moses, his face would shine with the glory of God, even in the old covenant. And so he's constructing his argument here. And he's going to say, now I'm going to pivot and talk to you about the new covenant since Christ came. Look at what he says. 2 Corinthians 3, 17 through 18. Will someone read that just so we can hear? Are you seeing it? We are new covenant people with a new covenant message that started in Genesis and goes all the way through to Revelation. We are called to be transformed into the same image step by step, day by day, battle by battle, falling on our face some days, getting up the next day, from one degree of glory to another, you and I in Christ are called to reflect the glory of God, to contemplate it, to behold the Lord as we read scripture each day, as we pray scripture again. We're going to talk about that more tomorrow. But this is the Lord's doing. He is determined to take you and me and transform us from sinners to saints, to take us from the gutter of sin and take us to the throne of grace where he transforms us. It's glorious. A second thing about theosis here. Theosis does not mean that a human being saved by grace and faith in Christ ever becomes God. Are we clear on that? So if you're sitting there and you are the heresy police, you are the watchdog that God has appointed to keep heresy out of the American church, You hear me saying this, right? Our brothers and sisters, the Orthodox Church, they are not stupid. They have preserved the apostolic teachings of the church for 2,000 years, and they're doing a pretty good job at it. So we have to humble ourselves and learn from them. They have been fighting heresy for 2,000 years. They are not going to be stupid and say, you know what? Oh, 2 Peter 1.4 means that Ted is partaking of the divine nature, and he is a god, That is ridiculous. That is heretical teaching. And so we're crystal clear on that, right? I want to introduce you to this guy named Maximus the Confessor. There's a quote up there. Again, I'm trying to stretch us a little bit here. Holy Scripture first and foremost, right? Holy Scripture. That is what we look to. But there are also people that devoted their lives to meditating on the Word of God, transcribing it, passing on commentary, on Holy Scripture. Do you know what tradition is? Christian tradition? The best Christian tradition is Scripture applied. That's it. And we're all bent out of shape. You know, we're like, ooh, the Catholics, they're so traditional and all. Good tradition is Scripture applied to life. And that's what Maximus does. He's meditating on the Word of God. He lives in Scripture all day, every day. He's praying it, and then he writes about it. And look what he says here about this thing called theosis. God will divinize human nature. He'll do theosis without changing it into the divine nature. You hear him? 
And he will raise it up for his own sake to the same degree as he lowered himself for man's sake. Is there more? Is that it? Is that glorious? Do you hear that? It's clear. God is doing theosis among people from every tribe and tongue and people and nation. But never do they become God. Never do they move from the created to the uncreated. They always remain creatures. But what Maximus is saying here is that the incarnation of the word guarantees theosis. Because Christ came. Because he humbled himself. Because he lived and ministered and washed feet and shed his innocent, sinless blood on the cross and was raised from the dead and ascended to the right hand of the Father. And the Spirit was poured out because of these things, you and I can experience theosis. Another early church father, this guy's earlier. Maximus was writing 600 years after Christ. Irenaeus was writing about 100 years after Christ. Listen to what this church father says. Ah, oh, this is beautiful. This is why I love scripture, but I love good tradition too. Listen to what he says. The word of God, our Lord Jesus Christ, who did through his transcendent love become what we are, that he might bring us to be even what he is himself. Friends, the self-emptying of Christ, what theologians call kenosis, leads to theosis. The self-emptying of Christ enables us to become like Christ. It's glorious, isn't it? Do you feel like you're getting a picture here of what theosis is and what it isn't? Ted, are we, we doing all right? We're doing all right? Okay, I want to put an image up here. Maximus and Irenaeus, these two beloved church fathers, would use a metaphor. You can look up there, and what do you see, friends? What's going on in this image? You've got metalwork. So you've got this famous Japanese metal worker, and he's forging something a sword, and he's plunging this metal into really intense fire, right? He's making a sword by plunging the iron into the fire, and what do you notice about the iron that's in formation? What do you notice about it there? It is white hot, and it resembles the fire, doesn't it? Friends, this is a picture of theosis. Hebrews 12 says that our God is a consuming fire. And you, in Christ, beginning with baptism and faith in Christ, partaking of the sacraments, the body and blood of Christ, being in fellowship in the church, obeying the Lord Jesus, obeying Holy Scripture, you're plunged into the consuming fire of God. It changes you. You become a sword. Theosis means you become a weapon. Love is weaponized. The love of God. You following the servant of all servants, you become a weapon in the Lord's hand. But at any point in there, does the iron become fire? 
No. The iron always remains iron. And so the early church fathers, Maximus, Irenaeus, and others would say it's important to know we're plunged into the fire of God's presence. Who God is, but we always remain iron. This is key, the distinction between creator and creature. So before I shift gears and we look at the vineyard theology and practice real quick. Theosis, this is the third thing, is God's design for all Christians. I've already touched on this, but theosis is God's design for every single Christian, not a select few. And as Protestants, we assert this, don't we, that sanctification, regeneration, justification in Christ, all of these things that describe the transforming work of the Holy Spirit, they're for everyone, correct? And the Eastern Orthodox Church would say the same. Those things that I mentioned, regeneration, sanctification, all of that is folded into the Orthodox doctrine of theosis. And friends, through this, all divisions are washed away. Do you hear that? Through theosis, partaking of the divine nature, being baptized into Christ, every tribe, tongue, people, and nation, all human divisions are removed. Paul says in Galatians 3.28, there is no separation. There's neither male nor female, slave nor free, Jew or Gentile. We are one in Christ. That is the prophetic gospel that we have to share with the world. It's more progressive than anything you'll find in secular ideas and concepts. The church is the unifying force on the planet. Amen? And you know what? We do not need to borrow from culture. Can we learn from them respectfully? Yes, but friends, Holy Scripture, the Christian story, shows us the way to see people in neighborhoods, in cities, in nations unified in Christ. It's the most glorious thing on the planet as we're transformed into the image of Christ. Okay, let's shift gears here. What, what do I got, five, five minutes? We're good? Okay, all right. I want to look at how this doctrine of theosis might enrich and empower vineyard theology and practice. Can we do that for a minute? Hopefully your gears are already going. Hopefully you're already saying, hmm, I'm seeing this. There's some connections here. How might this impact the local church? How might this inform the vineyard movement? And I want to propose the first thing. It should be up there on a slide. Theosis can enrich our doctrine of salvation and formation. What do I mean by that? Ted said I could do this, so I'm going to do it. I'm going to say some things that might stir you up a, a little bit. Friends, the gospel is more than the substitutionary atonement of Christ on the cross. Yes, that's right. That is one facet of the doctrine of salvation. But it's like a diamond with many, many, many facets. And if all we do is preach one facet of the doctrine of salvation in Christ, we're diminishing what God has given to us 
through his word. The doctrine of theosis is another facet of that diamond that we have to, as Protestants, we've got to delve into this. We've got to learn more about it. The apostle Peter spoke about it in 2 Peter 1.4. So I want to, to challenge your thinking here. Oftentimes when we're sharing the gospel with people, we go straight to the cross, don't we? Which, is there anything wrong with that? Of course not. The apostles preached that way, but they also preached that everything changed when God became man. Did you know the victory over Satan was won in the womb of Mary? It was game over when Mary said yes to the promise of the angel and Christ, the eternal word, the logos, was conceived in her by the power of the Holy Spirit, it was game over. The apostle John says that Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil and it was game on at that moment. At the incarnation. And so what we've got to do is learn how to present a more fully developed gospel. If all we do is say Christ died on the cross for sinners, and he, that is wonderful. But friends, we need to delve into the incarnation of the eternal logos, the eternal word of God, so that we have the incarnation, we have the life and ministry of Jesus, and we have his death and resurrection and his ascension. Amen? So salvation that flows from the gospel of the kingdom involves renewal of the human race beginning with the incarnation. And this has massive implications for the life of the church and our understanding of who we are. Would you agree? I will also say this. If we get a hold of this and it gets a hold of us, we learn that God was the original ecologist. God's vision of transforming human beings and all of creation. He, he's going to transfigure the human race in Christ. Those who believe and cling to Christ through faith, he's going to transform them. It's going to be glorious. But he's also going to transform all of creation. All of it. It's cosmic. It's universal. And it's only by delving into the biblical doctrine of the incarnation that we understand that. It's the incarnation and it's the cross. And so we're going to be learning from the Orthodox fathers and mothers. I know that's underway here at this church, but I think in the vineyard movement, we're going to be a rooted and empowered people. We're going to be rooted in Holy Scripture and Christian history. And we're going to carry the gospel of the kingdom in the power of the Holy Spirit as well. Second thing here, quickly. A doctrine of theosis can deepen our theology of the church and sacraments. And again, for those of you who may have been burned by tradition or you came out of a liturgical context that lacked life of the Holy Spirit. I'm not talking about us going back to that place. All right? Are we clear on that? I'm saying let's learn from our Christian 
brothers and sisters in the Christian East, and they have a vision of the church and the sacraments that's glorious. Now, do they have issues like all the other streams in the church? You bet. So we don't put on rose-colored glasses and view the Orthodox or the Anglican or any other tradition for that. They have their issues as well. But the Orthodox Church says this, the church, the local church is the only place where theosis happens. And there are many wonderful fine institutions in the world. They're few and far between from what I see, right? I look around and go, where are the fine institutions? That's another day, another story, but there are wonderful institutions out there, but you tell me one where theosis happens. Ted, can you name one institution besides the body of Christ where theosis happens? Rhetorical question, no. There is no other place. It is the local church where human beings are lifted from the gutter to the throne to become partakers of the divine nature. And this has implications for our, our self-understanding as the church. The other thing related to this is the importance of baptism and communion. At our church, when I came on board, we're in year seven, baptism was what I called family splashy time. I was like, what is going on here? It's like a warm bath and they're all kind of giggling and it may be mom or dad that baptizes them and it was kind of your own little liturgy and I said, this has got to change. I love our casual, we're, there's a casual nature to it, but we got to beef this up a little bit. Baptism is not family splashy time. Baptism is a person getting in those waters and saying, I'm united with Christ through faith, by the grace of God, I'm dying with him in this moment. I'm being raised, filled with the Holy Spirit, and I'm renouncing Satan for the rest of my life. And so we're looking back to the early church and reading some of their baptismal liturgies and drawing from it. And so we've got people getting baptized, and they are renouncing Satan. I renounce Satan and all of his works, and I cling to Christ and to the teaching of the apostles, and I'm going to live for him as a living martyr the rest of my life. And so we've got things to learn from the Eastern Orthodox Church. Now, it doesn't mean that we are going to do this, the sacraments like they are exactly. The other is communion. Communion for Protestants oftentimes is Welch's diluted grape juice and some stale little crackers and so we have to, maybe that's all we have access to. That's okay. But we have to have a theology that's equal to what's happening in Holy Communion. The Lord's Supper, Holy Eucharist. Friends, it's a holy event when the church gathers. And I loved it. I came up through this church. So as far back as 1993, there, were, there was communion every Sunday. I think you're, you still do communion every Sunday. And so, which is unusual for a charismatic church like the vineyard, but it's beautiful and wonderful. We're feasting on the bread of life and his life-giving blood, and it's an encounter. Just like baptism, that is a holy moment. And so communion is a moment to encounter the crucified, resurrected, ascended Lord. The last thing here, we'll end with this. Theosis should broaden our theology of mission and service in the world. 
You've already heard that, right? You've heard notes of that. So I've already said that we draw our cues from scripture and good Christian tradition, not from culture. At the same time, we don't retreat and hide in bunkers as Christians at all. We're deeply engaged. The scriptures compel us to serve on mission with the Lord Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit. Friends, listen, this is our message, okay? You from every tribe and tongue and people and nation. You were created by God to bear the image of God. You are destined for eternal glory and beauty and spiritual power and riches. Give up your lesser ambitions, your lesser causes. Call on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Be saved. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. Join yourself to Christ and his church and begin the lifelong odyssey of spiritual transformation. That's our message, friends. So, Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your church. And we pray that in the coming days you would teach us that you would make us humble and teachable and pliable and we would learn new things about salvation in Christ. Actually, old things. We would learn the old things. Lord, we love you. We thank you for this gift that lifts us from the gutter to the throne. Now, I just I want to give an opportunity. Is there anyone here who's hearing this? Maybe a friend invited you. I would assume that we've got Christians here, but is there anyone here that this message is striking you and you say, I want to actually begin this journey? Anybody here? We always want to make space. Maybe you're derailed. Okay, I see one person here. Anybody else? Could be the first time, okay? Could be the first time. Could be you need to get back on track with God. Is there anybody else? Okay, I see a third hand. Anybody? Anybody else? So let's close our eyes here. If you raised your hand, simple prayer. Just Lord Jesus, I'm turning to you right now. I want to become like you. And I choose to cling to you today. I believe in you, in your death, your resurrection. And I want you to be Lord of my life. And I want to be part of your family, your church. Amen. So if you prayed that prayer, I would encourage you. I don't, I don't know who you are. Find somebody to talk to today. Who should they talk to? Okay, talk to a pastor or find someone. Thank you for the opportunity to share with you, um, to geek out a little bit publicly with you over this. We're going to be looking at a little more of the practical side of this tomorrow. I'm going to talk about some ancient spiritual practices that the church has given us, including the Jesus Prayer, 
it'll be practical stuff, all right? So hope to see you tomorrow. Ted. Yeah, no, hang on to that, please. Thank you, Brock. I think I just have three questions, and then hopefully we'll have enough time for Jerry to come on up and do some things here. Um, but you and I both went to the same seminary. Yes. Went to a very evangelical, uh, very Protestant, almost stolid seminary up in Deerfield. Um, and this was not part of the language at all. We didn't talk about theosis. We talked about kind of like in Romans 8, foreknowledge, called, justified, the regeneration of the Holy Spirit, sanctified, then glorified. Um, and uh, I hear such conviction and such passion, but also um, maybe an undercurrent of rescue in that as well for you. How did you personally collide with theosis and what did it do for you personally? Uh, and how did it lift your heart yeah. when you learned about Man. it? So I took a church history class at Trinity. So this would have been 93-ish. Mm -hmm. And I found a book. I was looking at books on the bookshelf at Trinity, and I pulled off the life of St. Anthony. I don't know why. And I was supposed to be reading other things. And so I read The Life of St. Anthony by Athanasius. And it just hooked me. At 23 years old, I was like, what is this? This is so good. And so it really started there. And then I just began to read Contraband. I guess that's, you know, I began to read the stuff that you, the Catholics read that. The, the Orthodox read that. And I was like, oh, there's something so good along with Protestant teaching and so it really did start there. But then I, I think it went uh, turbo when I decided to go back to school and I got to study. I did a PhD at Loyola and I got to study with an Anglican priest there. And so he opened up the floodgates. Mm -hmm. And so I took seminars on like Eastern Orthodox theology. And this man was a man of prayer. He was an academic, but he was a priest and he lived this stuff. And so he just open the doors. And so before I knew it, I was, I'd been introduced to Maximus the Confessor and some of these things. So, but Ted, it's very personal too. This isn't just academic. Um, I went through a time of deconstruction in my faith and I didn't know if I was going to make it. And, um, so these people have become my posse that's rescued me. And I'm grateful for Calvin and Luther and those people, but these are the brothers and sisters that saved me in my darkest hour. Mm. They taught me to pray. They taught me, what do you do in the desert when you're drying up and dying and you don't know you're attacked by the demonic? And so I turned to them, not just for theological stuff, but can, can you help me believe? that my faith was slipping through my fingers, and so I had to turn to them to learn to believe again. Mm. And that's true to this day. Mm. So that's why you feel the conviction, is I, I look at these folks and just, they cling to Jesus, and I'm learning from the way that they cling to Jesus, because mm. I almost lost the plot. I really did. Amanda can testify to that. Both of us were barely hanging on, and difficult things were happening, and... I was hanging on by a fingernail, it felt like. But, and I think 
having these, this posse around me just helped get us through that time. But I still, I still deal with deconstruction and doubt, and I pray that from Mark 9. Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. That's just kind of my walk. So these folks have helped me survive, survive. Yeah, and uh, I think maybe, like, I want to ask a related question. Thank you for sharing. Yeah, okay. Um, could I be super honest? Is that okay? Usually that's, like, prelude. Some people are smiling, like, oh, no. What's coming? What's, what's coming? Uh, I just said I just about lost my faith. Yeah, so yeah. So, I think. Sometimes I walk into this room. And um, into into church on Sunday, and um, and it's sort of become a governing practice for me to think about the way that we talk to people who are new to our church. Uh, but one of the things that I'm aware of, I remember one time I was I was standing in the room. And we were singing, and it was, of course, wonderful. But I also felt like there was an undercurrent as well. And so I'm like, what is that undercurrent? Uh, like, what is that? The thing that, the un and what I mean by undercurrent, I'm hopefully this isn't too, like, woo-woo or meta or anything, but I just felt in that moment, like, I could feel that there was something more than faith in the room. There was something also... Uh, something in the room that kind of held us back a bit. That's, that's what I felt. I mean, if I could just be really honest. And so I was like, what is that? And so I talked to Steve and I said, Steve, I can feel this like undercurrent thing and I don't know what it is. And he goes, oh, you know, Steve. <laughs> like, I'm like, well, tell me what it is, Steve. And I was like, I can't tell you what it is. I'm like, why can't you tell me what it is? And he's like, because I don't have it anymore. I'm like, what do you mean you don't have it anymore? Well, you're the leader, so you should figure out what it is. I'm like, well, that's really helpful, Steve. But, um, and I love Steve, and so I'm not saying that as an against Steve. I think he was challenging me to listen. So I started listening, and I immediately became aware that people have come to our church, because our church is one of those odd places where we sit at the intersection of all these different kinds of things. So people come to us and go, you know, we love coming here. I mean, it's, it's okay. Uh, which I'm like, oh, well, that's nice, <laughs> I guess. But you're different. You're contemplative, you're charismatic, you're like egalitarian, you believe in the Bible, you're conservative. We don't know of any other place like that. And we're coming here as a refuge because we're really hurt. And I have heard that story over and over and over again, uh, an undercurrent of hurt. That the church as an institution, so when you say the church is the only institution that does theosis, uh, well, that's a pretty wide and serious vocation. And I would say as a church, we have not done the best. And particularly when it relates to theosis, um, and the dignity of every human being. And I would say that like I've, many churches, um, many folks have come to our church and come to us who have experienced a different kind of 
maybe a different, maybe they looked at it from a different lens or a different facet of the diamond. And by no means am I saying that the churches around us were better than them. I'm not saying that we're, I'm like, if you really knew what we did, you would be like, you're definitely not better than all these other churches. And which is absolutely true, but for some reason we've become a harbor. Um, And I'm wondering if you could speak to how the not, doing theosis or not talking about the dignity of a human being, how that can actually generate hurt. I don't know if you need to say anything more about that, but... I want to hear you teach on it. <laughs> no, I mean... Usually the person who frames the question has a really good answer. Who wants to hear Ted talk no, about I don't, that? Yeah, everybody! That's everybody. So I will listen to it, and I will come back and repeat what Ted says. No, no. 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 So... So really, by neglecting this, what kind of impact could that have? Yeah, 100%. Um, dang. Can you get us started on that? Can you, like, take a step in the direction of what you think? Well, I just, um, I, I'll just tell a little story, yeah, and yeah. then you can, like, okay. tack on. But I remember um, we had a young couple come to our church, started coming to our church and said, you know, um, the whole reason why we came is because we listened to a message. And at one point, you said that humans are beautiful. And I'd never, we had never heard that in the church before, ever in our lives. And we thought, that feels healing to hear that. So I think I'd like to come. Man. So. That's so good. Well, I'm with you on that. Uh, we've got a kind of myopic view of the gospel. Like I mentioned, you know, the, the glory of the cross I mean, it's, it's amazing, but friends, there's more to it. And I'm not saying there's add-on and bolt-on. I'm just saying the cross is glorious. But what we learn from Orthodox brothers and sisters who've guarded the apostles' teaching is that there is the ultimate human dignity and beauty and glory right there from the beginning of the story, yeah. Genesis 1. And so I think we have to just be weaving that into... Our preaching and teaching. Who's writing songs about this stuff? Come on. Vineyard songwriters. Write songs about this stuff. It's holy ground. And so I think we have to have singing theologians. We have to have preaching about it. But then I think it's got to become part of our discourse. And so I don't know. I mean, I think we, we glean from liturgy where it speaks of this. I mean, think about this guy here sharing the gospel with people who have, you know, they're just deep in the web of sin. But if he's saying, you know what? The Lord sees you as beautiful, right? You bear his image. Now you got to get, we got to get you clean and sober. You are beautiful and you're full of dignity and worth and value. Christ, the son shed his blood for you. You have infinite worth. This is unbelievable. Let's get your life together. So I think it just kind of infuses the presentation of the gospel with some new meaning. Friends, people are dying. You know, some of you were dying, maybe even last week, a few months ago. I mean, people want to hear a more fully orbed gospel. And so I don't know, I don't know if that. And and then I even think baptism and the Lord's Supper is part of that. Do you want to partake of the beauty and glory of Christ? then get baptized. Be clothed with Christ, 
who is glorious and yeah. beautiful and right. winsome, right. be baptized into him. And then partake of his body and blood, which is medicine for you, and come get healed. That's the other thing is theosis is a call of healing. Mm. Theosis fits with the vineyard passion for healing mm. because it's the deifying energy of God, the Holy Spirit, that goes to work on you. And theosis, Maximus would argue, involves body, soul, and spirit. And so it's a transfiguration of your whole person. Mm. So I'm preaching. I don't yeah, know if that... Okay. Love it. Uh, I, I'm, I'm eager to hear what it looks like to participate uh, in the spiritual work of theosis. Yeah. I know you'll talk about that tomorrow. Yes. Um, I, I think... I think it might be appropriate. Jared, would you come on up? Uh, Jared's here with us. I, I feel just like I, I don't mean to put anything on you. If you're here and you haven't been hurt by the church, like I don't want you to think like, oh, well, I guess it's coming. It's not. I hope, you know, like, but I do want to say that I do think that there are some people that because of the way the gospel has been preached, uh, it's created hospitality for an idea that I think is antithetical to the good news of Jesus, and that's that we are not image bearers. And that we must actually be made image bearers by the cross. Whereas I think the gospel is we were lost. And then what did Christ do? Well, he came to find us, you know. Um, and so how are you lost? Well, you had to be found at one point to be lost, right? And so what does actually foundness look like? And what does restoration to that foundness actually look like? And I'll say one more thing, and then I want to have Jared come and maybe do a response. I think this is the reason why justice doesn't make sense for a lot of people. Uh, when you think about restorative justice and you think about the restoration of God's original intention, which is in Genesis 1 and 2, and if you don't read Genesis 1 and 2, could I encourage you to read it? Because you cannot read John 17 without Genesis 1 and 2. Because mm -hmm. over and over again, Jesus is saying, I have given them the glory that you gave me. And what does that mean? It's strange if you have an anthropology and you think about humans as cracked and fractured and broken and worthless. You're not. Utterly loved by God. And we might be in the gutter, uh, but we can be restored. And so I think that justice animates, theosis, theosis animates justice too. And for us to want to do the right and equitable thing across our ethnic backgrounds is theosis. And for us to want to create equitable working conditions for people who are, are entranced in slave labor is animated by theos theosis. I mean, theosis is everything. Yes. And that's why like, I asked Brock to come and speak about it. Um, but it's not, as Brock was saying, it's not just an academic contact, uh, concept. It, theology has praxis. It like, makes a difference in our lives. Um, and I just want, Jared, if you could uh, respond in some way and lead us in a reflection. Yeah, yeah. I, as you were talking, Brock, I the words that really stand stood out to me was the words "We are lifted." Can you guys just say that? Say "We are lifted," and then personalize it. I am being lifted. So I think. So what happened is I, I had this uh, ancient icon come into my mind while you were teaching, and I went and I talked to Connor and I said, hey, can I send you this image? And I sent it to him and then I saw your slides and you actually already had the image. And so Connor, can you put, 
Yeah, so I, I added one more to it. But these one of those is yours. The one on the left is yours. The one on the right is the one that I added to it. And this is one of the ancient iconographies where, you know, Christ in his glory on Holy Saturday goes down to lift up Adam and Eve. That's what that represents. And you can see he's pulling, but he's pulling them by the wrist. So Brock, he's doing this. Brock's hand is free. He is lifting them up. And oftentimes, and I just feel like this might be a word for many of you, is that we live in this world where we think, how do I become like Jesus? What do I have to do to make that happen? And we get stuck in this exhausting posture where we think it's our job to lift ourselves up, but the gospel is that he is lifting you up. And I actually think, I actually see it happening in a couple of you right now. You are being delivered today from that oppressive voice in your brain because it is not the gospel. The gospel is that Christ is doing this in you and for you. And as we go into ministry time, some of you are going to experience deliverance from the oppressive voice of the enemy that says that you have to labor and labor and labor and labor for this. You are being lifted. And obviously, Brock is going to talk tomorrow about how we participate in being lifted up. But friends, as this relates to our formation, one of the most center pieces of our spiritual formation is this place of utter helplessness and reliance on God. As far as I can tell, the only thing that God opposes is the proud. And so there's a sense in which we come and we just say to God, lift me up out of the gutter. Do it, Lord. So I just want to offer that as a bit of a reflection. And I would, I would love as we head into ministry time for you to be thinking, how present is that voice in my head that pushes me to like strive? The, the word of the Lord is cease striving and let me do this for you. I, Jared, yeah. I actually think what you just said was so helpful. Could you lead us? Yeah, like sure. Just in a moment, like as you've led us in the mornings yeah. and at the in the evenings, yeah. just lead us through okay. that, would you? you? So Holy Spirit, we invite you to continue to come with your presence. I invite you even now just to be with the Lord and ask a direct question. Lord, what is the gutter for me right now? Where, Lord, do I need to be lifted? And I suspect that it's probably in the area of your life where you feel the most defeated and where you have tried with all of your might to overcome. Would you be willing to relinquish control of getting out of the gutter and placing that into the Lord's hands? Mm -hmm. 